Hello, and welcome to Our Extraordinary Podcast. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we're talking about episode 206, Zoe's Extraordinary Reckoning, written by Zora Bikangaga and directed by Anya Adams. Why don't you start us off with the episode summary, Danny? Well, IMDb says Simon wrestles with his feature at Sparkpoint after calling out racial bias at the company. Mo and Max pitch a new investor for their business venture. Yeah, so this was a really meaty episode, so I think we can skip some of the small talk and just dive right in. What did you think about it, Danny? What were your initial impressions? I mean, this this episode made me incredibly emotional. It's so raw and like full of pain, and it was such a different kind of pain than the show is like discussed before. Yeah. And I love that it wasn't like an episode about Zoe. Like she was in it, obviously, but it wasn't about her. And I love that they got so many black artists involved yeah. in this episode. And I love that they worked just so specifically with, like, the actors involved in the storylines. And it was just such a beautiful episode that they did so very well. It probably could have so easily gone to shit, like, not been executed <laughs> mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> We had like many that worries that we expressed last time. Yeah. I just feel like it's a really large conversation that needs to be had. And... I've already told, like, so many people. I was like, even if this show, like, isn't your thing, like, you don't like musical numbers, it's not your jam, like, you should at least watch this episode because it's, like, so important and, like, powerful. Yeah, I agree with everything you say. You, you just said, like, in terms of the the people that they got involved, like, I think you mentioned to me that they brought on a Black choreographer to work with some of the musical numbers. There were so many black dancers in this episode Mm -hmm. in a lot of like ensemble numbers and it really like it it really just was very impressive from that perspective and from the perspective of like all the all the conversations that I've read about like in all the interviews I've seen like just the conversations between the actors and the writers and all of the crew it feels like it was really thoughtfully done. Have you read anything about like why they decided to tell this story? Has has anyone like said that in an interview? I mean, it's a little bit in the in the variety article that we'll talk about later. They they mostly talked about it in terms of the the George Floyd protests in June. And like one of the things that I remember seeing from John Clarence Stewart, who obviously wasn't the the writer on it, but was, you know, is heavily involved in this, was that it felt important to him to do because during that he had all these non-black friends who were reaching out to him, these white friends who were reaching out to him. Like it was something that was happening to other people and not something that was affecting him. And it just sort of made him realize how much of himself he'd cut off to like move around in the world and in the industry. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he basically says something like that in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like think that's what, being like how it came like up himself. in the interview. And I think that the writer... And I think the writer Zora said something in there too about um, not like more on the why, but just like that they had a lot of conversations in the writer's room. And I think they like started writing for this season in like June or July. So it it was Mm. just like a big part of the conversation there. That makes sense. But yeah, like this episode really blew me away. It was really intense and complex and beautifully executed, as you said, just across the board. There's pieces that really stick with me. I loved the conversation between Mo and Simon on the staircase where Simon's trying to just like figure out what he's going to do and like gaming it out. Mm-hmm. I loved the conversation between Simon and Tobin at Sparkpoint after the disastrous town hall. 
I love Tobin's heart song. I loved all of the songs in this episode. Um, but yeah, it's like you said for Tobin, like there's always been more under that jokey exterior. And I think the way they brought that out in this episode, while also being clear that like he like he is a funny person, humor is part of him, but like it's also a defense mechanism. I just thought that was that was really great. So like episode as a whole, I loved it. Yeah, like I've always believed in my boy Tobin. <laughs> I know. I could always just see like that the secret serious but seriousness like behind his character and i always knew that there was like more than meets the eye and he's shown it on like a few occasions i mean clearly that time he's saying don't speak about feeling like he was losing leaf this time around though he was actually really receptive to joey's help i mean zoe's help which before he wasn't and he's definitely opening up more and changing and he's still like unapologetically himself and it's not always just an act. It's just, like, who he is. And I think like I love DMs. his character so much because, like, <laughs> yes, the DM line kills me. But I love – I think I love his character so much because I know and am friends with, like, so many men who, like, mask their pain and traumas with humor. And, I mean, I do the same thing sometimes. I think it's more that second part, right? Like, to- Tobin is definitely – he's definitely your character. <laughs> Tobin is, like, the bro side of me because I definitely have a bro side. <laughs> Um, all right, well, we should deep dive. Uh, there's a lot to discuss, but really just two arcs. Um, the main thing that we will be talking about is the fallout from Simon's comments at the press conference last episode and the whole big plot line around racism at Sparkpoint and in the world. And then there's this like teensy arc with Max and Mo where they pitch Danny Michael Davis on the restaurant. So I, I, let's get through that first because I think it's going to be really quick and then we can like rest in the, in the rest of this episode. So yeah thoughts it feels like this whole struggle in trying to get the restaurant to happen plot point is is coming to an end and it looks like the next episode is going to be the opening of it when we get back from hiatus i'm glad we're moving on from it because like, i feel like i could start to stale the two characters because it's just been this one problem for them for the last like three episodes um i like the part with a uh, max bonding with his old coworkers though like over fixing that glitch in the app and it was nice to see Max back in that environment, but it also makes me feel like him staying solely with the restaurant might not be his future. He loves being there with all of them too much and being lightly objectified by Mackenzie mm. as well. I really hope that's not a thing, though. Oh, uh, I definitely like her a lot better in my headcanon where she's gay. Yeah, I know you think she's bi. I saw your comment. Um, to each their own queer headcanon. I mean, I totally was like, I, I'm... My comment is more in reference to, like, she could still be bi, like... Oh, yeah. But I saw her, like, initially as gay as well. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so she totally could still be bi. I just, like, in my head, she's gay, and so... Or, I know many lesbian women who also just happen to love Skylar Astin. So... (laughs) He transcends. Touche. I think what you said about, like... I think you're right. Like, the the restaurant angle, it was a great way to get these two characters together, to get, like, Max and Mo in a room together. But it is all the little sort of gently pushing it along as it tries to get started stuff. It is starting to get, like, a little bit stale. I agree with you. Like, I really enjoyed seeing Max back at Sparkpoint with his coworkers. And it kind of made me think that, like, maybe he's going to try to, like, hire them you know, expand this into, I don't know if it's like a franchise or just like make the app more appy <laughs> and more like central. Um, but it definitely like planted a seed in my brain of like, there's, he he's going to be doing more software stuff. Yeah. It's not just going to be this one thing. For sure. I think I really only have one other thought about this episode, which is related to that. 
which is or about not this episode the arc. about <laughs> yeah. the restaurant arc, which is that Max should have asked for more money. Like, who taught that boy how to I negotiate? Mean, yes, but I also feel like it was extremely awkward for him since it was like his old boss that he was pitching to, and I just think that he was so on the fence about accepting <laughs> like basically guilt money because he basically turned down his dad for guilt money as well. A different kind of guilt, but still. <laughs> Do you think that was... I was going to say, I don't know if it was really guilt from his dad. I genuinely... I don't know. I, I feel like I need to see Max and his dad like go to a therapy session together at some point. But like, I still have trouble seeing that as guilt money from his dad so much as his dad like trying to support him and it, it just not I, being I guess what for me, it's like my, Max wants. My dad's definitely a deadbeat dad kind of situation. So like, he's always like, every once in a while being mm-hmm. like, oh, here's some money to like, you know, feel better about the fact that I wasn't there for you in yeah. your childhood. But I know his dad's definitely different. His dad was there for raising him for sure. I mean, they've never discussed his mother, though. I don't know what the story is there. They haven't. So, yeah, honestly, that was most of what I had to say about this arc. I I think that you hit all the main points. So let's move on to the main one. I just, like, end-to-end loved this arc. Like, I like how the episode started, where they, like, kept that opening melody to Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood lingering from the last episode. Um, and I really liked the that early confrontation between Simon and Zoe in the elevator. Because, like, with everything that Simon was going through, and just, like, all the adrenaline that just must have been coursing through his veins in that moment, he was very direct with her. And she needed that, right? Like, she needed somebody to yeah. be direct with her um, and tell her that she fucked up. Yeah, I mean, like, I felt so much for Simon, like, so we just like bombards him in the elevator when he's clearly like anxious and upset and needs space. And it's just like, she just kind of sucks there because she's like defending herself at first when it's just obvious that he was trying to tell yeah. her before. Like, it's just, it's just upsetting that just none of this stuff connects for her. Well, I think she does, like, it does connect with her. It just always takes a little longer. <laughs> like, she, she, lets her mouth get ahead of her and she says things that she shouldn't. And so she does this damage before she can, like, get it. When I was watching the episode, I really found myself, especially the second time, like, I really found myself drawn to to Simon and all of the things that his silence said in this episode. I, I just can't imagine how frustrated and powerless he must have felt sitting there while all of his white coworkers just go on and on And like he said in the elevator, he's still processing and there is a lot of anxiety that he's dealing with about speaking up and and the effect of that on his career, on his life, on his Mm -hmm. relationships. And at that point in the episode, no one else has spoken up for him Mm -hmm. or stood with him. I noticed that. And then like you have a Topin who kind of like tries to like run up to him and be like, yo, dude, like, (laughs) Mm mm-hmm. Thanks for that. It's just like his reactions. I mean, I just love his reactions kind of to everyone in this episode. Like he's just done. Simon's just done. It's so apparent in his face. Like even the whole town hall thing, which is just so misguided in general. Mm. Like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I cringed so hard at the white people's anecdotes. Just like I was like, oh, God, my stepfather is black. It's like, oh, Uh, like, I, I just feel like in that situation, if you are going to have something like that, just just don't let the white people speak. I mean, yeah, though, also, I think, right, like, one of the other things that I think that scene shows is that it puts so much pressure on 
the handful of people who are not white in that situation to then like be the ones to speak up when they're they still haven't really seen any institutional support right like i think when she like that's what happens with i mean tobin obviously has like his other issues that we learn about later in the episode when he passes it on but like all of the people of color in that scene pass it on and like yes i am sure that some of that is they don't feel like this is the space for them this is the mm-hmm. forum for them but I also think it's just a huge amount of pressure, like to have done what Simon did, which took so much bravery already, and then to be like sat down with all of your coworkers and asked to just like speak off the cuff about your feelings on race in the workplace. If you t- right, like <laughs> I guess what I would say is you shouldn't do that. Oh yeah. Period. <laughs> right. Like you shouldn't. It just- the whole thing was, was. Yeah. No, I just. No. I'm like, if you're going to, you can open the floor for people to speak, but like, I guess like more like be like, hey, if you want to like shoot me an email or like uh, write me something and like put it in my box or whatever, like I feel like that's a better way to kind of like go about that. Or what she did with Tobin later in the episode, right? Like, because sometimes you do need somebody to push you to open up a little. And I think that like, at the same time, like asking somebody to do that in public is, yeah, it's, it's just huge. That's too much. But yeah, like going back to what you were saying, like Zoe is a fucking mess in this episode because she is trying so hard, but just like stepping in it every single time. But I think that's I think that's what I love about this episode, though, is just how accurate yeah. she is. Just She just feels so real. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was super cringy and like for me, at least unfortunately, <laughs> somewhat mm-hmm. relatable. Um, but it also felt very authentic to who she is as a character. Like she wants to be there for the people in her life. And she she tries so hard, but she gets really mired in her own perspective and point of view. And that makes it hard for her to to genuinely empathize with them and listen and like mm-hmm. see them properly. My friend Lauren texted me. She was like, have you seen the episode? And, you know, I was like, yeah. She said, I just kept screaming, Zoe, no, at my screen. But I think that is, like, that scene before with her and Simon before the town hall where she tells him he was right and she needs to listen, like, she says that. And then she does the exact same thing that he, like, just the day before told her not to do and that she, in the elevator, like, expressed that she, like, expressed some sort of understanding that that was what she did, which is she didn't hear him when he tells her, like, or when he says, like, are you sure this is the right idea? Because she is so busy just rushing to try to fix Mm -hmm. the situation. Yeah, she basically just needs to do a whole lot of listening and just just sitting there. Yeah. And, I mean, she gets there, but but she has blind spots, (laughs) as she says. And um, Mo and Simon have to point them out to her repeatedly. Back to Tobin, though, right? Like, that scene with Tobin was where he, like, runs up to him. I I mean, I thought it was such a good scene for all the reasons you mentioned. And I really felt like it was that sort of start of that, like, support is not this, like, wishy-washy sympathy thing through line. It it has to be actually doing something and, like, standing up. So, like, they come from very different places, but both Zoe and Tobin really want to help. And yet... Neither of them is mm-hmm. actually doing it at that stage in the episode. Yeah. What did you think about that scene with Tobin and Simon? That scene was also kind of cringe, but, like, you could see Tobin's kind of face, like, falling during it. Just, like, 
Like, he knows he's disappointing mm-hmm. him, but, like, he's just not ready to do anything about it. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. He's not ready yet. But as we sort of approach more the climax of the episode where Danny Michael Davis tells Zoe that Simon needs to retract his statement, mm-hmm. um, I feel like all this stuff, like, comes to a head even more so. So, like, Zoe says to Danny Michael Davis that she doesn't think it's a good idea, but she does it anyway. Mm-hmm. First, of course, going to her other black friend for advice. Mo is somebody that Zoe is used to seeking advice from. She does it all the time for so many things in her life. But it's also really exhausting for for him, as he points out to her, to like be the person in general who she is relying on for that. But also specifically in this case where doing that brings up his own experiences with racism and his own traumas. Mm-hmm. And there was this great article in Variety that I, that I mentioned earlier where they talked to, to Zora and to John Clarence Stewart and I think a couple other people. But Zora said, um, and this is a quote, as a black person with my white friends, these conversations I've had are reflected in the conversation that Zoe and Mo has. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of empathy in that conversation when Mo tells her, like, just tells her directly, like, you can't do this. Yeah. But it yeah. is also very frank and direct. Like, there's no pussyfooting around. I mean, thankfully, Moe's really good at doing that. Um, yes. Like, I, I love it, like, how he, like, you know, he starts at, like, look, Zoe, I love you. But, like, mm-hmm. it goes on. Because, like, I just loved that speech so much. Because, like, I, they're basically addressing the fact that Mo is at times essentially, like, the magic black friend trope. Like, it's nice to yes. see a call out for that. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. Like, I think that's... Zoe does rely on him so much all the time for everything and i don't even think she's really aware of how much she relies on him and how much she puts on him yeah i mean like he says it's emotionally exhausting yeah yeah so i i mean i think you're absolutely right that not i mean not only did she need to be called out on it but that like it was a good way for the the show to acknowledge the way that it has perpetuated that yeah um, one of the other things that the that the writer that Zora talked about was how he related to Tobin as a first generation immigrant. Um, he's from Uganda. He said there are ways. Yes, more quotes. He said there are ways that first gens differentiate ourselves to assimilate, to differentiate, and say we're the model minority. And all that does is condone and reinforce an environment of racism. I'm not a first generation immigrant at all, but I think about that like model minority myth shit and like assimilation shit with respect to Judaism a lot because I think like a lot of Ashkenazi Jews assimilated in ways that are really similar to what he describes and certainly that's true in my family like there's there's little things or I mean they're not even little things but like my dad and his sisters refused to speak Yiddish because they didn't want to be marked as Jewish um, Mm -hmm. among their peers Mm -hmm. and I just, I think about the way that, like, doing that and, like, you're doing it to survive to a certain extent and also because you do want to fit in, like, we're social creatures, but it, it does. It plays into those those myths about, like, the good and the bad immigrants, and it absolutely makes us complicit. Mm-hmm. Um, it also costs us a lot of what makes us unique, like, going back to just the language thing, Yiddish is almost a dead language at this point. Yeah. 
So that part of Tobin's journey really resonated with me. And I, I know that Tobin's journey resonated with you a lot. What was the sort of biggest point of connection for you? I like that they kind of started the conversation with the, like, clearly very racist joke that they give towards him when they're like, good thing we outsourced it to Slumdog. And it just, it's so fucked up. And I like, I don't know why people think this kind of shit is funny. Like, it's still a very prevalent thing in, like, bro, like, gamer culture. Like, to be casually or not so casually racist. And, I mean, they still say, like... They still say that's gay or like like they still say this stuff that is so politically incorrect and they're like, oh, it's fine. It's like we're just we're just fucking around. And it's like, but you're not. I think I heard that. I saw an article that called that like hipster racism or whatever, where people will like say I'm not racist because I don't mean it. And it's like, but you're still fucking doing it. And you don't, I mean, one, I don't think that that's even remotely true. But two, like, even if you are, quote unquote, not racist, and you're doing it, you're doing it around a whole bunch of people who you don't know, right? Like, you're telling them that it's okay. Yeah. Like, even besides that, like, I think what really started to hit me, I mean, even like, obviously, Tobin's song, I just like the conversation that he has with Zoe afterwards, when she kind of like, gets him to open up like at first he's like taking it as a joke and like i mean he of course like made me laugh he's like you know made me think about all the tough questions racial equality corporate bias why does simon look so damn good in a suit just like i love that he like i love his character and that he like plays it off like that but just the fact that he was finally kind of able to like open up to her like i literally cried so hard when he said i respect simon for speaking out I just don't want to stir the pot because I've had so many family members and friends tell me this like all the time about being first gen. Like it makes me so sad, but I'm like glad that they're like having this conversation because there's so many like first gen people who just don't want to stir the pot. They just want to just keep going and, and everything's better for them if they, they just pretend it's really sad. Like I, obviously don't have to deal with that because I have white privilege. Um, Even if I grew up like mixed, it's totally not the same for me. And I grew up in a a town that is like heavily like minority. Like there was lots of Mexican families that were first gen and lots of um, South and East Asian community around me. So like I, it's something that I feel like really hit me when I hear Hmm. conversations like this, because like I can think back to being a kid and, like, growing up with people who are experiencing this. And it just, like, hits you, you know? Yeah, I I agree with you that it was a really good conversation to have and a really important one. I have been struck a lot, and in this episode again, by just, like, how rare those conversations are. Mm -hmm. And especially, like, within community, those conversations are. I remember just, like around the election, reading all these articles about how um, a lot of Jews in Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox communities were pro-Trump. And I just, like, cannot fucking fathom that because it's like this this is somebody who is overtly anti-Semitic and, like, a whole bunch of other shit. But, like, as a Jew, how can you be okay with that? Especially like so many of the so much of the ultra orthodox community in America is people who are direct descendants of Holocaust victims and survivors. So it just like 
yeah. it really fucks with me that we don't have those conversations within our communities enough. I mean, this is like every minority community has like this issue, unfortunately. Like mm-hmm. um, in the Latin American communities, you have a lot of people who are pro-Trump and they even feel like, yeah. yeah, we should build the wall. People shouldn't be able to come over here. Did you ever see – did you ever watch One Day at a Time? No. Oh, it's a great show. I highly recommend it. They had an episode that they released actually at the beginning of quarantine. They completely animated the episode um, and they had – uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda in it as like a guest star as one of like the family members and there's just like this whole conversation between two sides of the family that are basically pro-Trump and who aren't and just like the tensions that it can bring up and like in family dynamics and I don't know it's so hard to hear shit like that how they support someone who is just just so openly hateful it's like it's almost like some people who are uh, minorities forget like what it was like for their family members to come here. Well, and it's like a cycle of abuse, right? Like you you go through that shit as as a first generation person, and especially further back, people who were first gen in the twentieth century or earlier, right? Like there there was so much bad shit, and I mean it still happens now. I say back then, but like you know, there's all these attacks. Um, that are happening against um, Asian Americans in San Francisco and the Bay Area right now. Yeah. And it's it's the same thing, right? Like, it's people getting attacked, and then their response to that is to is to be small and to be scared and to try not to make waves. And mm-hmm. so you go through this cycle of just keep your head down and, you know, get through it. But it perpetuates... It perpetuates racism. It perpetuates anti-immigrant sentiment. It does all these horrible things. And until we can start having conversations about that, you can't make progress. You can't have Tobins who stand up and do what they need to do. Yeah. It's hard because, like, you know, post-World War II, like, people like to be like, never forget. But it's like, where is that being shown? Because, like, for one, I didn't even really learn all that much about World War II until I started teaching myself about it. They barely teach that shit in school. They barely scratch the surface of, like, what that was actually like and what happened. Like, I didn't even know about the whole Japanese internment camps thing until I was, like, oh, in yeah. high school. Like, and I had no clue about that. You went to high school in California, right? Like, yeah. Like, it's where most of them were. Yeah, and it's, it's like, it's just such a history repeating itself bullshit, like, over and over again. Like, I don't know how people can see, you know, like, these ice like, areas and, like, not equate that with, like, basically being internment camps. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? Like, and then they have that anecdote, like, later on in the episode basically saying, like, oh, that person was just, like, casually made a joke of, like, I'm gonna call ice on you or whatever. And it's, like, it's fucked up. It just makes me so mad. I mean, yes, it's fucked up. Nope, it shouldn't happen. No, it shouldn't. I I just think that's why, like, I don't know. I think that's why these conversations are important because, like I said, it is sort of these... These are cycles of abuse, right? Like, history repeats itself because we react to the immediate stimuli. And then, like, I mean, I told you about that book that I read, um, How Jews Became White People, which I should say, referring to Ashkenazi Jews, though the book itself is, like, a little dated and doesn't get into some of the complexities. But, like, so much of it is about that. It's about that, like, Jews after World War II, were understandably freaked out about Mm -hmm. what might happen to them. And so in they kind of did whatever they could to fit in. And now Jews are largely seen as white people, except when they're not. And 
because of that, like, there is this alignment with whiteness and with racism, right? Like, so much of that story is about the way that Jews became white people was by creating this opposition that they're not Black, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're not Black. Um, and just just to gloss this one more time, there are absolutely Black Jews. This book gloss over it. Mm-hmm. But I think that... I think that's just, like, why it needs to happen. Like, the other part of the Jewish story to me is the way that, is the Israel story and the way that, like, Jews who understandably wanted a place that was theirs, that felt safe, mm-hmm. in the service of that have created the system of apartheid and oppression against Palestinians. And it, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to have those conversations and to figure out, like, what do you do about it? But it's really important. Yeah. And I know that you and I have talked about this before, but it's just like, would these conversations even be happening if like the masses of human beings weren't basically in lockdown, like having to think, really fucking think Mm -hmm. about shit that's going on? Like, like, you know, if the George Floyd murder had happened, like not during the pandemic, would people have cared as much? I mean, I think that's exactly right, that people are sort of forced to sit with it. Mm -hmm. But then what happens when it ends? That's why I'm glad that, like, we're still having these conversations and that TV shows are starting to incorporate these conversations into their writing because it's just something that we need to constantly bring up. Yeah. Anyway, we should get back to the episode. I feel like (laughs) I wouldn't say it's exactly off topic, but we definitely rambled. Yes. Um, These conversations are hard. They make people rambly. Anyway, I don't want to repeat the entire Variety article that is how we started on this, but I will put a link to the in, to it in the Instagram in the episode description. And I do recommend checking it out because I, I didn't even get into any of like John Clarence Stewart's comments here, and that is all worth reading as well. But for now, let's talk about the resolution to this story. Simon goes to Danny Michael Davis's office to resign his position, but thanks to Tobin stepping up, they instead forge a plan to talk to the board and make some changes to the company. So what did you think of this as an ending? I like it. Like, I do think that we need happier endings to these kinds of stories. I think I've read comments about, oh, that's just like super unrealistic. And it's like, yeah, it feels that way because no one's doing anything about it. And I'm just like, I don't know, like, you know, like that whole, basically like the whole like last half of that episode, I feel like I'm just like a wreck and I I cried like a lot. And I I love that when... I mean, I fucking hate Danny Michael Davis. We've talked about this. He's fucking the worst. Um, (laughs) When he's like, basically saying he's going to be like a hero in the situation and they're like all of them are like you're not a hero in this situation (laughs) i'm glad that they like they called that out um i don't know i did also like when when he's like did you get chills and everyone says no except for tobin (laughs) and he's like yeah i kind of (laughs) did and i can't tell if he like was serious or if he was just playing that whole like i'm trying to like impress my boss even though he's the worst i don't know um but before we even talk about like the end end result like i i forgot to mention the conversation that mo and simon had in the staircase oh shit which is like one of my favorites in this entire episode yeah there's like such a realness and rawness in the conversation that happens between them like of course i was crying again um but you can tell the emotions that simon is feeling is something that john clarence stewart has felt like it's there like those are definitely real tears in his eyes like that did not feel like a performance that conversation that they were having he talks in that article about just like how some days when 
he they like finish a scene he would just go to his dressing room and just like sob because it just it was so real and called up so many emotions and like real experiences he's had in his life yeah I loved that scene. That was probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode. And I love that Mo is like, you're such a gorgeous black man. Just all of it. Like, I just love that. And I love that actually at the end of that, you know, like Zoe comes up and she's like, I just want to say I'm sorry. And that's it. Like, she didn't try to offer some kind of speech or or advice or anything. Like, she's finally learning. And I like that he kind of like called called out that that's a thing that she does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like... She she says the apology, he says he's going to quit, and she's like, okay. And then he's like, what, no big speech? She's like, nope. Yeah. Going back to the ending, like, I definitely feel like my feelings about it are, are complicated. I, I end up sort of falling on the side of, like, it's it's great to have a happy ending here. Like, I'm glad that Simon was able to secure a commitment from the board and make substantive changes. I'm glad he got to have that relief and joy that he talks about at the party, because that's that has been my big fear for him in this arc. And honestly... In the first season, too, right? Like, there's so much pain in his life. You want him to have joyful moments. Mm-hmm. At the same time, right? Like, I, I do see the anxiety over, like, it's it's not actually that easy. Even when you do have the world behind you, getting a company to actually make real changes is nigh impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, we were talking about this last week with the Timnit Gebru situation at Google. And, like, the walkout to protest sexual harassment at Google, like... <laughs> All of these people were fired in some capacity or pushed out. And he talks about that. He talks about how, like, you know, if he retracts everything, he basically just has to, like, play it safe and sit in the background and they're going to push him out or, like, give him a, a job that he has no say in and yeah, can't move up in. And I, I think that, ha- like, he had to acknowledge that for it to work. But I, where I do end up landing is, like, w- when we had Tori on, we talked about how Zoe's as a show, like, it's always demonstrating how things should work in the end. Like, how you should behave in the world. And there's a lot of, like, fucking up in the middle portions. Yeah. But there always is this sort of end result that is, like, this is what the world should be like. This is how people should behave. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what this is about, right? Like, we get satisfying resolutions in this world. We get happy endings, even when we don't see them in the real world. And there's value to that and in showing the world as it could be. Yeah, and I mean, like, the, that's kind of a popular thing happening these days. You're seeing a lot more stories told, like, like period pieces that, like, aren't accurate because you have, like... Oh, the, like, colorblind casting? Yeah, so you have, you know, Bridgerton is a big one right now. But even that show that came out last year, uh, Hollywood, how they kind of rewrite history a little bit. It's it's a popular thing right now. And I know, like, it, it gets a lot of shit. But it's like, why not? Why not tell the happy ending? Why not rewrite history and be like, this is what it could be like? Yeah. I mean, I have seen some interesting critiques of the colorblind casting in some instances where, like, the casting is colorblind, but then the narratives still sort of perpetuate sort of racist tropes or yeah. whatever else. So I definitely like I definitely think that it's good that there are those critiques because just colorblind casting does not fix the thing. No. But I agree with you. Like I think there's I'm not somebody who thinks that like realist fiction is bad, but I also think that it is very important to have things that allow us to imagine a different kind of world. I mean, like, we discussed it, too, also when we had Tori on. Like, you have, like, Schitt's Creek, which is just the happiest fucking 
beautiful show that just kind of like doesn't bring up all the heavy shit. And it's like you don't always want the heavy shit. And they still had a lot of stuff that was like sad yeah. or like heartbreaking on that show. But it's like it wasn't like around like. Wasn't about identity. Yeah, it wasn't about identity. So it's like that's what I, I think is worked, worked for that show and really works for, for Zoe's as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I had for the arcs. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you want to mention before we move to heart songs? No, I don't think so. All right. So just four heart songs in this episode again, in order of appearance. They were Black Man in a White World by Michael Kiwanuka, sung by Simon. No More Drama by Mary J. Blige, sung by Mo. Tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson and the Miracle, sung by Tobin. And Tightrope by Janelle Monet, sung by Simon, Mo, Tatiana, and that whole ensemble at the, at the restaurant party. So let's start with favorites. Which one made you tear up? I loved Tobin's. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would be surprised here <laughs> that I chose his heart song. I just, and it wasn't just because I love him. Like, I just realized while I was watching it again that it's just like such a poignant number and yeah. it's nuanced and it's different than the other musical numbers. Like, there's like a hesitation in it and like less choreography than is usually involved in the numbers. And I feel like I love that so much that it's just like he gets his own kind of voice in his numbers. You know what I mean? Uh, even with his, yeah, his other yeah. one as well. So I like that it's kind of like catered to that specific character. And I also feel like he deserves way more solos. Like his voice is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I mean, is Don't Speak the only other one he's had? I think so. I think usually he's like chorus. Yeah. I I definitely noticed it more in this one than I did in that, though. Like that's great too. And I think part of it is because he's being more sincere in this one, right? Like Mm -hmm. Don't Speak... Obviously, he has genuine feelings for Leaf and was genuinely concerned about that relationship. But it was also like a, for a little jokey. Yeah, 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 it was played for laughs. And this one isn't at all. Mm-hmm. I like what you said. I didn't even think about, like, I noticed that there was less choreo on his number than there was in the rest of the episode. But I sort of, when I was thinking about it initially, I was like, oh, well, you know, his is not an ensemble number. But I think you're right that a lot of it is about catering to his particular style and personality and one of the things that I noticed was he gets a lot of close-up shots, like a lot of headshots um, mm-hmm. during his number. And that's actually a pretty unusual period in this show. Like, generally, you see more body and movement. Yeah, and like like I said, like, like there's like a hesitation to his performance. Like, almost like he's mm-hmm. not sure, like, if that's how he feels, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that that really fits well with everything that he goes through in this episode and the way that he is like coming to an understanding of what matters to him and what his values are in this situation as he's moving through it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great choice. I found it very hard to choose just one song this week, except for the first one. All of these songs were, were ones that I knew and loved before. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're also like, I mean, I thought all of them, including that first one were amazing, but like the rest of them were ones that I, I knew before, right? Like they were things that I had been listening that I listened to growing up or I mean not growing up, but like, you know, as yeah. a whole human <laughs> outside of podcasting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the case of the Janelle Monet number. So that's definitely part of it. But they also each brought something different to the episode. Mm-hmm. So I really liked how the show used tracks of my tears 
to show what's going on with Tobin under the surface and the way he like cuts off parts of himself to to fit in and to survive. He is an incredible singer, so I agree with you. It's nice to see him get some more airtime. The Mary J. Blige number that Mo and the other muralists sang was really raw and intense, and the choreo in um, in that in Black Man in a White World and Tightrope just like grabbed me. So it was a really tough choice, but in in sort of the spirit of what we were just talking about about happy endings, I think I'm I think like the one that sticks with me is Tightrope. Yeah, because there was so much energy to it, and with such a heavy episode, it just felt so good and with that kind of release and you could see the joy in everyone's face who was performing that yeah and i mean like i mean this goes without saying but i love that it was only people of color this week that got to sing and Mm -hmm. dance like that was it yeah i think people have talked about that a lot in the town hall number because right like everybody who is white is frozen in that number everyone who isn't black is frozen in that number and mm-hmm. it's only the the black actors and dancers and singers who are like up and moving around. Yeah. And it is really like striking. Yeah. So let's maybe let's move on to that number to Black Man in a White World. What did you think of Simon's performance? I mean, God, like John Clarence Stewart just keeps fucking blowing me away. Like he better sweep the award season next year. Like <laughs> fuck, dude. Like just everything he's put into this performance in the last couple episodes is just mm-hmm. like he's just giving it his all. Like this is a yeah. story that uh, matters to him and that's very clear. I I mean his his voice, his vocal abilities just blow me away and he's such a good dancer too. So it's mm-hmm. just been lovely to see him and shine. He is like he is a really good singer and dancer and he like keep giving him these really physical numbers too. Mm-hmm. Um which I don't think was really true in the first season. I think it's mostly been a second season thing where he's been getting like big physical numbers. Yeah, I do think it was mostly this season that they started doing that. I feel like um Lanier could probably do a better job of articulating this in proper music terms or whatever, but I felt like the there was a lot of forward motion in the the Black Man in a White World number. Like melodically, it mostly stays in the same place. Like it's it, it's there's not a ton of like up and down melodic range, mm-hmm. but the rhythm just creates this feeling of like constantly being constantly moving and running around and never being able to rest. Mm-hmm. And you get that in the choreo too. That's interesting. I don't know if that was like intentional at all it's just something it probably is i mean these people i know are so fucking talented it was amazing like there's so much thought that gets put into every episode but this one especially i feel like the the musical numbers were just yeah i mean they worked with a a black choreographer uh to to help co-choreograph the the episode yeah yeah so that's that's luther brown the choreographer is yeah i love that they did that like they they basically, I don't know if the director's black, but I know like yeah, the writer Annie on the Adams. episode is black. So Annie Adams is, I believe. Yeah, they like went there. They were like everyone working on this episode is at least a person of color. I hope that that is a trend that continues beyond this episode. Like, yeah, not Annie just Adams like a one-off a couple thing. Of since this season. And Zora has been a writer for a while, I think. 
at least all this season. I, I wasn't sure. I looked, but I, I wasn't positive about last season. But yeah, I just I hope it's a thing that that continues and that like trends upward <laughs> toward uh, more people of color working on this instead of like stopping there. Yeah. Hopefully they uh, make good on the on the promises that Spark Points board, board made. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So the the last number in this episode was Moe's. It was No More Drama by Mary J. Blige. Mm-hmm. And this is just like one of those moments where I, I feel like nobody else could have performed this number the way that Alex Newell did. Yeah. It's just so Moe to me. Yeah. Alex Newell like completely like slayed this performance. I mean, he always does. But mm-hmm. there was just something about this one that, like, felt different. It felt more, like, confrontational and, like, sassy mm-hmm. than some of the other numbers that he's had. Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to read, like, a little background on the song, and I don't know that it was super, like, super interesting. <laughs> Honestly, it was mostly about, like, drama within the music industry, from what I could tell. I mean, that could be interesting. Yeah, but I do think it was, like, I do think it was a very, it was a good reflection of what Mo is feeling in that moment, like what he's feeling and what he sees in this relationship he has with this person who he really loves, but who is like being a fuckwit and like bringing him into things that she really shouldn't be bringing him into. Yeah. And I, I mean, like I feel like every white person has had a misstep like that where they're just like, how should Mm -hmm. I handle this conversation with like my black friend or, you know, or just like, put posts on Facebook and are like, I'm wondering what my black friends will think about tag three people. <laughs> yeah. And it, I feel like everyone's like, you know, had the missteps yeah. and it kind of reminds me of even like the blackout Tuesday um, drama that happened last year. And I don't know. I mean, society always does a lot of shit like that. They had the, like uh, the black and white photo challenge, which was super misguided as well. Um, I don't know. Like I, I loved that scene for just like calling, calling it out for what it is. Like, don't, don't ask your friends of color questions like that. It's just rude. Yeah. Like, to a certain extent, you gotta... I mean, you definitely have to do your own research. And to a certain extent, like, you just have to try. And if you step in it, apologize and try to fix the harm. Yeah. But, like, don't add to it by doing more harm to your other black friends. Yeah, exactly. So that's basically all I have for heart songs, honestly. Is there anything else you want to add? Like, anything we didn't cover? I know we've covered all the heart songs, but, like, was there any anything you wanted to cover that we didn't get to? I mean, I had, like, a couple funny anecdotes, but I don't think they're really, like, important. Like, I, I, I like that there's still, like, this, like, underlying humor to the episode just because, like, that's, that's what the show is. Just, like, little shit, like, when Tobin says, everyone knows I'm a San Francisco 7, just, like, fucking cracked <laughs> me up. And, like, I laugh because, like, I feel like Mackenzie is, like, me when it comes to talking about Max, and I was like, I feel called out right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like your anecdotes. That's that's a nice note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> so, final thoughts? I mean, like, I feel like we covered it all. Like, I just, like, I loved... I loved this episode. It's so important. I've told so many people, like, I'm just like, just watch this episode. Like, if you're going to watch anything, just watch this episode. It's so good. I just 100% love that this is actually the episode that they ended on before going into hiatus. Like, I think that's really awesome, too. Like, it just, like, we get to sit with it for a while. Yeah. It gives it six weeks of space. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I loved this episode for a million reasons that we have covered primarily. 
But I just, I think the thing I want to end on is just, and just highlight is that I really did like the way that it ended because it, it was joyful. And that's what I want for Simon's life and for him in, in this show. There's a seed of hope for Spark Point. We'll see whether any of that comes back in the show or not. But importantly, like, regardless, Simon spoke his truth and he survived. And the people he loves showed up for him and, you know, showed us how to do that, too. Yeah. So... I also love, like, there's, like, little touches in this show that I love so much that just makes it feel so real. Like, uh, like Zoe at the very end of the episode with him, like, it's like there's this, like, hesitation she has to even say anything to Simon, like, after all mm-hmm. of that that just happened. And I love how Simon was, like, that he felt relief. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was, like, a big thing. And I, I love the little moment between them at the end. Like, they have, like, this, like, little bump with each other and, like, they giggle, like, just, mm-hmm. like... It was just so sweet to see them kind of have a really nice moment again together because, like, I feel like it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And I like what you said about her hesitation, too, because I think, like, it is really easy, especially if you've stepped in it, like, many times, to get in your head and be like, oh, well, it's better if I don't say anything. But it's it's not, right? Like, it's it's better for her to be there for him as a friend and to push through that awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And... You know, she figured it out. And she's going to fuck up again because oh, yeah. we always do. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I think that's all for this week. Listeners, thanks for joining us. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate us, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rxtrapod. And, uh, yeah, the show's on hiatus for six weeks. We're trying to get together a special for some time in the middle of that, so hopefully it won't be that entire time until you hear from us again. But yeah, thanks for hanging with us. Bye. Bye.